Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone, and welcome back again to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Myself and Melinda having a chat today about um, the buying process and, and contractual uh, obligations and, and uh, way things happen here in Brisbane. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, it's good to um, cover this topic because I know in our own inquiry, we get so many people just um, unsure, uncertain, unfamiliar with the process of buying a property by private private treaty here in Brisbane, um, especially buyers that may be used to the markets such as Sydney and Melbourne. And a lot of buyers looking at Brisbane right now are the borderless investors looking to position themselves um, to get a piece of Brisbane. Um, and they're attracted to Brisbane, of course, because of the the strong yields that we have and also the capital growth opportunity. But of course, buying in Brisbane is quite different to buying in Sydney or in Melbourne, being uh, predominantly auction markets down in those two capital cities. Um, It is a little bit different here in Brisbane. We do have fewer auctions. Um, Generally, looking at auction clearance rates doesn't typically tell us um, a great deal about our market because there are a lot more properties that will be selling by private treaty here in Brisbane rather than by auction. So that's what we're going to unpack today because I know there's a lot of frustrated buyers out there that just don't understand the process. Um, so we're really going to clear that up and and provide some clarity for buyers. Yeah, so it is a very busy market. Our inquiry level has, um, has skyrocketed. Um, a lot of people trying to buy up here in Brisbane. Um, we do get asked, I actually had a conversation with a, a fellow from Melbourne just the other day talking to me about how they advertise prices down there and give them price guides, especially during auctions. Um, a lot different up here, obviously in Brisbane. Um, but when we work obviously with our clients, we take them through the next step. So as you, as you go through the process of making an offer, purchasing the property, going out conditional settlement and so on, we actually guide them through those steps. Um, so to make it a lot more, a lot easier, obviously to understand. But uh, yeah, today we're just going to give everyone a few tips and a bit of an idea how it works. And I think just off the back of something you mentioned there, Scott, price guidance. It is one of the biggest frustrations that Brisbane buyers are having right now. There is not much price guidance at all being provided by sales agents. And I would argue that um, hardly any of the brand new listings on major real estate portals are actually being listed with a price. And, you know, quite often that is because agents genuinely don't know where it will land because we are in a strong seller's market and there is so much upward pressure and price growth happening in certain locations around the city. Um, But of course, buyers who don't understand the market, who may be just entering the market for the first time, are buyers who have not been tracking or researching other sales in the area. It can be completely overwhelming Uh, to not understand how much a property is worth. So, you know, one of the biggest frustrations that um, we see in our inquiry is buyers just completely fed up, not understanding how far their budget will go, not even understanding what they can afford to buy, um, what suburbs they can afford to buy in and, and also what sort of property they can afford to target. So it is a huge frustration right now. And, um, and obviously that's, that's what we're going to talk about. They're also, um, unsure when we talk about unsure of price um people people are just not sure what to pay so they probably hesitate and at the moment properties are getting advertised on a thursday friday sold on the saturday first open um, if they make it that far so people that are unsure they're hesitating they're they're holding back a little bit they're missing out uh, missing out again and again several times Uh, even properties that do have some sort of price guidance when they say offers over 
um, it, it they're tending to go way over what they're actually <laughs> what they're yeah. actually advertising. So it did. You've really got to understand what the market has been in its historical sales and how it's moved and moving to keep up to date with what we think is um, is value and what is a fair price as well. So. I think with the um, speed of the current market here in Brisbane, um, it is important for buyers to understand when a property is listed for sale by private treaty. As Scott mentioned, a lot of properties are literally sitting on the market for a number of days. And we are seeing a lot of agents list on a Thursday or a Friday, as Scott mentioned, at the very first open home on a Saturday, that property is going to multiple offer and then it is under contract. Now, to make a huge buying decision, whether it's a home or an investment, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars to make that decision within a a matter of days between when you first see the opportunity and you go through the home and then you have to actually put forward an offer. They're huge buying decisions and a lot of buyers are becoming quite fearful Uh, There's a lot of FOMO in the Brisbane market right now. And importantly, I think um, the due diligence may not be as thorough as it needs to be for some buyers. I mean, this is our full-time job. This is what we do. We drop everything when something's listed on a Friday at midday, knowing that we've got to put hours of due diligence into that property. We've got to put hours of research into understanding the value of that property before we're physically inspecting that property the following day, because we know it will go to contract. Now, anyone working full-time obviously just wouldn't have the capacity or the time to do that or potentially the resources to be able to access that sort of information straight up. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of FOMO and, and people just scrambling, just trying to pick anything up. Okay. So maybe we, if we just run through a bit of a, a process in um, in purchasing a property, how it, how it works and, and give you a bit of an idea of um, play out of basically, I guess, a scene of how it could work, um, which might be a good way just to tell people how it works. So let, let's say, for example, a property gets put up on realestate.com, as we mentioned on Friday. Or domain. Or domain. Yeah. Um, and um, obviously it's for sale, no price guidance. Um, what's the next steps? Well, obviously due diligence is a really important first step for any property buyer. And I can't stress that enough to make sure that you are checking everything about that property from a desktop before you physically inspect that property. Um, secondly, you need to understand what the potential value of that property is. Now, if you're not um, familiar with that suburb, with that location, you must do research. Now, obviously, there's paid um, resources that you can get access to more comprehensive data. But as a property buyer, if you're not accessing paid research hubs, then you can use some portals such as realestate.com and look on the sold tab. Or you can go to um, other sources like onthehouse.com.au, type in the property address to get an understanding of the sales history and also other sales in that same street. It's really important that you do some price history checking. However, what I will say uh, is that if you're looking at sales from 2020, they are no longer relevant sales. They are no longer comparative prices. The Brisbane market, especially if you're looking at the housing sector, has shifted significantly since December 2020. We've seen price growth in the housing sector, looking at the core logic hedonic um, movements. In the last quarter, price growth has been nearly 6%, and that's at the greater Brisbane level. So it's really important that if you're looking at sales that, that may have settled last year in 2020, you're applying the stretch factor that needs to be applied to bring those sales figures up to current values. Also remember, 
Median data is not representative of what is going on in every suburb. So you need to understand what's been, you know, going to contract most recently. Um, So actively researching that area, being engaged with sales agents, following up if it's a property that you've put an offer in and you've missed out to understand where it did go to contract at so that you can understand the speed of the market and where you need to be with any subsequent offers. So we've done our homework. We're having a look at the property. Let's say we just turn up on the Saturday having a chat to the agent. Um, we personally, for us, um, we have a really good relationship with agents. So we do talk to them quite a bit, not just on the Saturday when we turn up when there's a lot of people there because they are very, very busy and you need to respect that. Um, we try and talk to them beforehand um, out, of, out of our sort of time so that um, we're not disturbing their, especially their Saturdays, which are a very busy day. Um, but we, we have a chat to them, get an idea of what they feel it's going to be worth, what the interest is like, how many people are looking at it. Uh, if it's an open home, definitely go along um, because you'll see how many people are there, what type of interest is in, is in the property. Um, and, and also if you get a chance to have a chat to the agent, have a chat to them to see what um, what sort of price guide, if they can give you some sort of price guide <laughs> and what sort of conditions are going to be favourable when you start to put an offer in. And I think, you know, just off the back of that, remember that agents as um, representatives of the vendor or the seller are always going to be anchoring you at a price that um, they feel that they would like to achieve. It doesn't always necessarily reflect what the property will sell for. So be aware, you must do your own research as a buyer to understand where the value lies. But you also then must understand the demand on that property and therefore how competitive the um, the opportunity might be. If there's 80 people turning up to the first open home, you know that's a very high demand property. Um, if the, the pile of letter of offer forms has um, has diminished and there's none left, you know there's a lot of people that are interested in the property. Uh, but most importantly, the conversation that you have with the agent should be around understanding the process. Okay, what happens next? When are offers closing? When are you presenting offers? When do I need to have my offer into you by? These are critical questions to always ask a sales agent because if you don't ask that question, you cannot assume that they won't just sell that within a couple of hours after the open home. If you have not expressed your interest in the property and indicated that you are looking to put forward an offer, the agent will not come back to you because they simply have too many buyers to deal with right now and you can simply just slide you know, away and and unfortunately be overlooked. So it is critical that you engage with the agent and you find out what is their process, when are they closing offers and when are they presenting offers so that you can follow their process. Another thing to keep in mind is that the process may change depending on the outcome of the inspection. And this has happened to us on multiple occasions in recent months where agents say that they'll be closing offers on the Monday and then they get so overwhelmed at the Saturday inspection that they change their mind and they then tell us at the inspection, actually, we've decided to close offers at 5pm this afternoon or 3pm this afternoon, in which case you must comply. You must actually follow their instructions and you must be ready to present the offer when the agent says they are closing offers. So it's critical that you ask those questions and get that information from the sales agent so that you understand how fast you need to move so you don't miss out. I guess not giving too many tips and and tricks of the trade away, but talk to people as well. Um, Don't just go to an open home and and wander around with your partner and hide in corners and and have a quick look and then leave. Um, Be prepared to split up and talk to people, talk to agents, talk to other buyers. Um, I I actually enjoy Saturdays. Um, Saturdays are quite fun getting out and talking to people and getting feedback from other people and understanding what other people are 
seeing out there every day. Um, it's quite enjoyable to get out and have a nice chat, grab yourself a coffee and, and talk to some people and get some understanding. It also gives you a bit of a feel of what their interest is like in the property. So you, you get to understand what that, what that is like um, and obviously then um, be prepared for making that offer. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, that is the next step and in, in that is, you know, how do you make that offer? Um, and there's a couple of ways that you can approach this. Now, we never, ever recommend putting forward a verbal offer, especially in the current market. Um, it really doesn't have much weight. Now, some agents, if you've asked those questions about their process, they may tell you that their process is that they will only accept offers um, on a an offer form. Other agents may request offers in contract form, so you need to comply with their process, regardless of what the method that the agent um, is suggesting. You can always ask for a copy of the master contract so that you can review what the terms of the sale would be in, in case there's any special conditions, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but obviously, putting your offer in writing is the most critical step. Putting your offer in a um, specified letter of offer form is the best way for the agents to filter through those offers. But putting your offer in contract form is going to be the most powerful way to put your offer in front of a seller, especially if your offer is one of the leading offers. Um, it's very easy for a seller to sign off when it is in contract form. Um, it's much harder to, to get agreement in principle and then have to go through the whole process of documentation thereafter. So obviously offers need to be in writing to be presented. Ask the agent what their process is and always ask to review the master contract so that you can get that reviewed if you need to um, by a solicitor before you're actually entering in the contract. Remember the speed of the current market means that you may not have time on a Saturday to get a contract review. So if you're seeing a property listed on a Thursday or a Friday, and you are interested, contact the agent, contact the agency, request a copy of the master contract so that you can have that contract reviewed promptly before that open inspection on a Saturday, because you might find you might not have time to get a contract review otherwise. Okay, so we've gone to the open, we've got the um, offer form or contract, whatever it may be. Um, we're re ready to offer a million dollars for this property. <laughs> what what do we what, what's the next process I guess for people do we do we obviously just put that down or we do we have any conditions let's let's run through some of the conditions that we can actually put on some contract offers yeah so when you're actually making an offer it's not just about price and I think we've covered that in previous sessions when we've talked about multiple offer and how you can strengthen the terms of an offer but an agent won't just be interested in what you're prepared to pay for the property they will also be interested in what the terms of the offer are and when we're talking about terms we mean what conditions you're placing alongside the purchase price now the conditions can be subject to finance subject to a building and pest inspection um, subject to body corporate searches, subject to further due diligence or, or rent back clauses. There's a whole host of other conditions that you can put forward as a buyer uh, to protect your interests when you're entering into a contract. Um, so obviously we'll run through each of those. The first is um, conditional to finance. So it's not uncommon here in Brisbane to be able to put forward an offer um, at a purchase price and have a finance clause in the contract. And what that means is it enables you to seek a final approval from your bank or your mortgage broker prior to going unconditional on the purchase. And generally what that means is you get the opportunity to have the bank valuation completed to ensure that the amount you have offered for the property um, is in alignment with the valuation from the bank. And then um, it's a few boxes that are ticked and potentially the, the final approval is issued. So it 
provides a layer of protection for you as a buyer. Um, if you do not have a condition of finance in the contract, um, the risk to you is that if the property does not value up at the purchase price, you will have to put forward the difference yourself um, by way of cash or, or through other funds. So that is the risk you take by dropping out that finance clause. And believe me, we're seeing a lot of buyers do that at the moment, aren't we, Scott? Yeah. So you definitely want to be pre-approved. Make sure you've got, if you're working with a broker, make sure it's organized, make sure you're pre-approved, make sure you have a chat to them before you go to make an offer to get an understanding of them, how long you're going to need for that finance clause. And I think that's critical because some buyers are going in and they're not finance ready. Um, and, you know, when you're putting in 21 days or, or 28 days for a finance clause, it's just not competitive at the moment. And I know we've snapped up a lot of properties where we may not have been the lead price, but we've had better conditions than other buyers. Or the agent has known, for example, that the buyer's not got any finance in place and they've come in with a high offer, but they don't have any finance ready. So that's a high risk offer for the agent or the seller to accept especially when they've got an offer that's, um, you know, not far behind, but fully pre-approved buyer uh, with a seven-day finance clause. It's a much more competitive offer because they know that they've got certainty as a seller. So that's why that finance clause, you can play around with that and make sure you are finance ready. Um, obviously, the most competitive way to go there is to drop out that finance clause. But as I mentioned before, that does come with risk. We're seeing a lot of buyers do it at the moment because that makes their offer more competitive, but do not forget the risk. Um, of doing that in the current market. Yeah, and you've also got to be very careful if you if you go in with a finance clause then and you ask for an extension um, because if, as Melinda's mentioned, let's say there's 20-odd other offers that have gone in on that property on the weekend, it's quite easy for the agent to start ringing all the underbidders and just start letting them know that, hey, this finance could be a bit shaky. Um, are you still interest, interested in the property? And if they are, they could just reject that extension and go to an underbidder and um, sell it that way as well. And that's happening more and more. We're finding that agents are starting to push back when you are requesting an extension. So don't use it as a strategy to go in with a seven-day finance clause and then request an extension of another seven or 14 days. You might find that will backfire on you. Um, if you are not finance ready, going in with tight finance terms, you know, will only cause you grief further along the contract process. So you need to be finance ready. And um, there's no doubt about ensuring that, you know, if you are going in with tight terms, you need to actually meet those terms or it is possible that your extension request may get rejected. Yeah. So we'll come back to what happens when if they do get rejected. But um, the next one, I guess, is uh, I'm very heavily involved in these ones, is the building and pest inspection. You'll find some properties, especially the ones that go to auction, um, but you do find that some properties, they'll actually do a building and pest before they actually go to um, to sell the property. It's always good um, to get that, to be able to have a look at it. If you're happy to go that way and you, and you rely on that report and they are independent reports, um, you can actually go through it as long as you can understand it. If you've seen the property and you can understand the building and pest report, you can go that way and not have the building and pest condition in there. Or you can actually put in that you want a, a seven-day, whatever it may be, whatever time frame for a building and pest inspection. You organise your own building and pest inspector out there to go through the property and do a full report on it as well. And I think that's um, important to understand, again, the time frame. So you should have already lined up your building and pest inspector if you're putting forward an offer. 
so that you know how much time you need to put in. Because if your building and pest inspector is not available for two weeks, um, it's no use going in with a seven-day building and pest clause if you can't actually get them through within that time frame. So understanding time frames up front is critical. And I know we've discussed this previously in making sure your team is ready um, to assist you with the purchase. Just just on that one, yeah, you make sure you talk to some building and pest inspectors beforehand. Um, I work with several companies. Um, sometimes I can get them in about three, four days. Sometimes I'm actually pushed out a week. Um, so you need to make sure that you give yourself time, not just to get the inspection, but to also get the report off them and be able to go through the report and understand it as well. And you get priority treatment because we work with these guys all the time. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a one-off buyer and you're ringing up some of these busier building and pest inspectors, um, you may not get that priority treatment and you might find that you'd be pushing out to two weeks just so, to get something in. So it's also a good idea if you can, um, the ones you, you're talking to, if you get time for this as well, um, obviously the time is time is the thing that is very tight at the moment. But if you can get, an, um, if you can get a sample of one of their reports, it's always good to get the reports that have photos in them. Uh, it's just a lot easier to understand to have a photo with a description than just to have a lot of words because some people don't understand that unless they're in, in that building side of things. But if you can get a sample of their report, they all have them. Some of them have them online. But just have a look at it, see what they do and how they do their reports to make sure it's nice and clear. Now, obviously, um, making it subject to a building and pest inspection in the event that anything significant comes up as a result of um, that building and pest inspection, there's a couple of options for you as a buyer at that point. So first option is that if there's major issues and you're really not satisfied to go through with the contract, you do have the option to terminate the contract, which means that any deposit monies that you have paid up front, you know, will be refunded to you. So that's option number one in the event that there's significant issues that have been reported in a building and pest inspection. Option number two, Scott. Um, so, yeah, you can always talk to the agent to see if they're prepared to negotiate to either they fix the work. Um, they don't have to have it fixed straight away before it goes unconditional. As long as you agree that it's all fixed before the property settles. Um, the other way you can do that is if, the, if they don't really want to do the work, um, you can actually get some prices on it and, and do an estimate on what it's going to cost or get some trades to have a very quick look at it um, and have a reduction off the settlement amount. That way, when it all settles, that amount's just deducted off the settlement and then you arrange to get the work done yourself. Um, the, other, the other thing is you can just wear it and take that risk yourself. Um, the only thing I probably would say that, and obviously the current conditions, sometimes they'll, they can reject the request. Um, then you have to make that decision yourself. Um, but the only thing I probably would recommend is you just can't push back for small um, maintenance, items. maintenance items, things like that. Um, it really needs to be the, the three major ones I always talk about are, are structural termites and water ingress. They're probably the big three ticket items that you need to um, consider. Um, and they're the three that I probably do talk pretty hard about with people. So what other um, conditions can we put forward on contracts when we're putting forward an offer? Um, if you are buying something that is governed by a body corporate scheme or um, that's what we call it here in Queensland, you can have a clause whereby you uh, the contract or purchase is subject to body corporate searches. Now, that's pretty important. I think that you need to understand the body corporate disclosure statement. You also need to um, get some certainty around whether there's any large expense items that may be coming up uh, that have been discussed. So a review of the body corporate minutes uh, is a really useful way to understand what you know big 
cost items might be coming up in the future. And also just understanding, you know, what is the balance of the sinking fund and, um, you know, the the other areas that are relevant when you are buying a property that is governed by a body corporate. So having your solicitor put in a special condition so that you can um, spend time reviewing that. It's very hard to get all of that information up front, especially the detailed information. So it gives you time to do further due diligence once you've entered a contract, just to make sure that there's no surprises and um, no headaches that you're getting yourself into. So I guess, I guess the next one, which is really interesting for people, um, and, and Melinda's mentioned that word a few times as she's been talking, is you can basically put down a clause um, subject to due diligence. Um, a lot of people would not really understand that, um, but can, can you give us just a bit of an explanation of what's involved in that? Well, a due diligence clause covers everything, to be honest, and sometimes a, a you know, 7 or 14-day due diligence clause um, covers finance, building and pest inspections, body corporate disclosures, as well as anything else, such as if you're buying a site for development, it will cover you doing the numbers, um, your feasibility, talking to consultants to firm up the costs. So it really covers you for anything. And that is the most comprehensive way to cover your interests as a buyer. Now, obviously, from a seller's perspective, it's the least attractive type of term or condition that you'd want on a contract because it gives the buyer a get out clause for any reason whatsoever. So it is not commonly used for standard residential sale. It is more commonly used when you are looking at a site that has development potential because generally people that are looking to develop will want to you know, secure the site before they spend money with consultants to sketch up plans and and perform more detailed feasibility. So um, something to be aware of, but not something a lot of standard buyers for residential properties would be looking at inserting. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess the other one, which is probably something, again, you just need to understand what the seller's reasons for selling are, what they want to do, have they got another property to move to, um, and, and what are their circumstances? But you can obviously you can offer a rent back as well. Yeah, and I think that that's something in the current market that um, seems to work, especially if um, if it's not an owner occupier looking to purchase, but if it is an investor looking to purchase, offering the current owner a rent back, an optional rent back, is is a really powerful way to provide some certainty to the seller. Um, obviously, there's not a lot of stock in Brisbane right now. We've talked about that in past episodes. So when people are looking to sell, generally they are also buyers and they're looking to buy. Now, if they've not yet purchased a property or a new home to move into, having the security of a rent back can actually provide them with some reassurance that they've got time between when they sell and when they buy without being homeless or having to relocate during that period. So explore with the sales agent. And this is why conversations with the sales agents really are important um, explore with the agents the reasons why people are selling uh, because if you can hear um, that the agents are saying they don't know where they're going to go, they've not yet purchased elsewhere, then you know that those sorts of conditions um, could be favourable and you can actually ask the agent whether you know a rent back clause would be favourable to the seller or even longer settlement periods and you can play around with um, the, the period between when you are unconditional on a contract and when the property actually settles um, and the ownership transfers. So all of those things need to be discussed with the sales agent so that you can understand the vendor's circumstances and position your offer accordingly. So that's obviously then looking to um, make an offer on the property that way. If Obviously, if there's an auction, um, it's subject. To, it's not subject to any conditions, obviously. Um, so it's basically cash unconditional. Um, you don't have those opportunities to do that. So all of that needs to be done beforehand. 
Um, just keep in mind that the other thing, I guess, is a, is a pool. If there's a pool in the property, there needs to be a safety certificate done with that. Um, that's obviously there's a, there's a section in the contract where they tick whether it's supplied or not, um, and you acknowledge that as well. Um, so we just need to make sure that everything is covered on that. Um, is there any other information that we need to include in the, in the offer as well? So typically within the offer, whether it's an email that you're sending in, whether it's on a letter of offer form or whether it's in contract form, these are the things that you will need. You will need the full legal name of the buyer. Now, you don't want to get this wrong. If you are purchasing in your own name, it's your full legal name. Um, you will, If you're purchasing in an entity, it is the full legal name of that entity. You also need to probably put forward your solicitor details. Who's going to do the conveyancing for the property? So that will be transcribed directly to the contract if you're not already presenting in contract form. Obviously, you will need to um, describe or, or, or outline what the purchase price that you're offering is going to be. That's standard. Now, deposits. There are two deposits on a standard contract when you're not buying by auction. So first, there's an initial deposit that is payable if your offer gets accepted. So that's payable upon contract signing. Now, if you have conditions in the contract, you will need to satisfy all of those conditions before a balance deposit is due and payable. And a balance deposit is paid uh, upon the contract becoming an unconditional contract, which means you've satisfied your finance, you're building a pest clause and any other special conditions that you may have inserted into the contract. Now, we've talked about ways under multiple offer that you can actually be more aggressive with your deposit to show that you've got more cash and strengthen your offer. The initial deposit um, up payable upfront, balance depositable payable only if you get to the point where you are entering an unconditional contract. Remember, it's that balance deposit that would be refunded in the event for whatever reason that you withdraw from the contract as a result of finance or building and pest or other conditions. What's the time frame on the deposits to be paid? Generally, the upfront deposit is payable upon signing of the contract. Um, you can actually um, change the condition to state the time frame that you want we generally put within two business days to allow for electronic transfer, especially if a client's not based here in Australia. Same with the unconditional date. Most contracts will provide that the balance deposit is payable when the contract becomes unconditional. We always um, prefer to put in within two business days of the contract becoming unconditional because you don't want anyone falling into a breach of contract because of delays in electronic transfers, which is the way we most of us um, do our banking these days. So just keep that in mind. Sometimes it is good to just ask for two days um, from those dates just to make sure that it is deposited into the agent's trust account in time so that there are no potential penalties. So then we run, run through obviously the conditions. So the things we've spoken about earlier, finance, building and pest, pool inspection, inspection, um, any due diligence clauses, anything like that, the conditions, special conditions. If there's any special conditions, you need to actually put that in that section, inclusions, exclusions, things like that as well. Um, and then also then the settlement period. So whether it's a 30 day, 45, 60 day, 90 day, whatever it is agreed, that's then obviously need to be stated as a settlement period as well. And remember, this is offer and acceptance. So, you know, before, before a legally binding contract is um, is formed, you're putting forward an offer to a buyer. They may come back and alter the terms um, to better suit them. 
and and this is the process of negotiation. However, right now in Brisbane, because there is so much competition, there is not a lot of opportunity to negotiate. So this is why we cannot stress enough understanding what the sellers want, understanding the seller's circumstances and putting forward an offer that appeals to the seller um, not just on price but also on terms and conditions is going to give you the best opportunity to secure an opportunity right now in Brisbane. I guess the only other couple of things we haven't mentioned is the cooling off period. Yeah, so um, all contracts entered into by private treaty are subject to a cooling off period of five days. Now, if you do pull out or withdraw from the contract because you've changed your mind within that cooling off period, penalties may apply and it is important that you seek advice around that. Um if you are putting forward an unconditional offer um, that is not subject to building and pest and finance, some agents will actually ask you to sign a waiver um, to basically waive that cooling off period. So you are effectively entering into a contract under auction conditions. So you need to seek legal advice if you're being asked to do that. Um, but generally speaking, all contracts will be subject to a five-day cooling off period. So we've made the offer on the property. We've gone through all our conditions. We've, we've pretty much done everything we need to. We're in then, we've paid our initial deposit and we're going through our finance building and pest, for example, those couple of ones, which are probably the two most common and major ones. Um, let's say, for example, one of those or both, whatever it may be, finance or building and pests don't come up to, to scratch and we need to um, pull out of the contract. Can we actually just pull out of the contract because of those? Well, there's got to be a valid reason why, for example, if the property does not val up or the valuation doesn't come in at the purchase price, you would have the option to withdraw from the contract or you would have the option to continue with the contract um, or you would have the option to renegotiate with a buyer at that, sorry, with a seller at that point in time. So there's always options when you reach that point. Um, there's always opportunity to renegotiate, uh, but at the end of the day, you would have the opportunity to um, pull out of the contract and then your initial deposit would be refunded. Yep. Okay. Um, look, I think we've covered pretty much most things there. I, I don't think there was anything else. That, that's the standard contract process. Obviously, you've got auctions, there's multi-offers. We've talked about a lot of other things in other episodes um, to give you a bit of a heads up and then obviously the contractual side of things. So, um, look, I hope that's helped a lot. Um, I'll let Melinda wrap it up now. It's been good talking. Hopefully that helped and gave you a few tips um, and, and how to um, buy some properties in Brisbane. So I'll let Melinda wrap it up. It's been great talking. Thanks very much for listening and take care and bye for now. Yeah, I hope that's answered a, a few queries that a lot of our buyers often have about, you know, the process here in Brisbane when buying a property by private treaty. Um, and I hope that's also provided you with a few tips if you are a current property buyer in terms of how you can position your offers and, and some of the information you need to draw out of the agents when you are putting forward those offers. Um, as always, please send your questions in for future episodes. We've got another Q&A coming up again soon. Um, we would love to hear your feedback and any reviews that you'd like to leave they are always very welcome and we love reading um, how much you've been enjoying the podcast that we share with you. Until next week, uh, we will speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. 
If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.